Welcome to the Aquas Podcast. Conversations about regs, funds, and governance with your host, Daniel Lawler. Hello, welcome to the Aquas Podcast, Funds Industry Conversations. For this episode, I'm delighted to be joined by Brian Walsh, who's the CEO of Ratig Software. Now, just to give you some context around this podcast, last week we published our 12 2020 predictions. And in that document, we set out what we thought were likely to be the key issues for the industry into 2020 and beyond. It's available now to download from aquest.ie forward slash 2020 predictions. So go there and you can get your own free copy. As part of our 2020 predictions, we invited any of our readers to come back to us and challenge us on what we had thought would be happening 2020 and beyond. All in the spirit of doing better, which is the key message from the 2020 predictions. So if you are also interested in coming forward and challenging us, we'd love to hear from you. But the first person who has done that is Brian Walsh, as I said, CEO of Ratig. He wanted to challenge us on what we thought would happen in the tech space. So I'm delighted to have Brian and I look forward to other challengers coming forward during the course of the next week or two. But Brian, let's start by an introduction and then you can tell us where you think the challenges are in our 2020 predictions on technology. Very good, Danny. Uh, Thanks, Uh, it's good to be here today. Uh, My name is Brian Walsh and I'm the CEO of Rating Software. Uh, We're a group of actuaries who make regulatory and back office software to financial service firms. And we've been in business since about 2016. A group of actuaries doing tech. A group of actuaries doing tech, yeah. So the company was founded by three people, two qualified actuaries and me. And uh, together we've been building enterprise software for about 15 years and we set up the company in 2016. So. And what do actuaries know about tech? An awful lot, an awful lot. You, you get out and you, you, you go into these companies and they've got quagmires of data and quagmires of calculations and actuaries and other financial service professionals making spreadsheets and spreadsheets and spreadsheets. And so we, we come along and uh, kind of sit in the middle between IT and business users and we help translate business requirements and IT skills and kind of combine everything together in a, in a logical way. So tech software solutions good, spreadsheets bad. Pretty much, it's very succinct. Okay, well, I want to just take a little bit through what we did say in our predictions on the technology piece. Very good. Uh, and put me on the right track. I think you've said pretty much what everyone else is saying, or not, not what everyone else is saying, but what an awful lot of people are saying. Saying that, you know, you're, you're putting out buzzwords around big data and cloud, and you're saying that, you know, companies are going to be left behind if they don't move to big data and they don't move into cloud solutions. Uh, so what we said was middle and back office activities will demand technology that can drive efficient financial services operations, big data reporting, and of course, the cloud. So let, let's, 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 go on. let's start there, right? So um, big data, right? Very, very few financial service companies have big data. What is big data? So, so big data is typically defined in terms of the three Vs. You've got velocity, uh, you've got volume, and you've got variety. So do you have enormous quantities of data? Are you getting it in real time coming in, that you're, you're getting feeds from weather predictions and, and whatever else that you're using to drive decisions? Or are you getting a variety of data? Are you getting text data, you're getting phone, uh, images, you're getting videos, you're getting voice calls, all this kind of stuff. The vast majority of financial service companies do not have big data. Who, who has big data? So Facebook, Facebook would have big Amazon. data. Google, Amazon these kind of guys. Data, where you're looking at people and they're going onto your website and you're tracking the mobile phone that they came on with and the location that they are and every single click, the amount of time that they spend on a particular section of the screen. So you're scrolling through Facebook. Facebook are logging. They're saying, Danny stopped on an ad for water polo for 10 seconds. 
and they're going to use that information to go and show you more ads for water polo. So the volume of data that those guys are receiving is exponentially bigger than the volume of data that any financial company will ever see. Okay, so financial services companies don't do big data. They don't... Maybe maybe at the very extreme. So if you look at someone like Renaissance Technologies that is building trading algorithms based on weather patterns in Paris, maybe they have big data. But the vast majority of mancos, if you're a manco and you're just getting trade data... What if you're a bank or an insurance company or a global you're, brand? You're not getting anywhere near the quantity of data that would be classified as big data. So you're not... Like the number of touch points, if you're a bank or an insurance company, the number of quantity data points that you're going to have on your customer interaction. So we do CX or customer experience for some of the insurance companies. Like, okay, if you're selling to telemarketing, let's say, you'll have information on the number of times that you've called the guy and what you talked about and did he call back, did he take out a product. That, that number of touch points is tiny, really, really small in comparison to what Facebook are doing. And using something like the term big data kind of gives a bit of a, a scary view of what's required. The reality is that if you're a financial service company, you can satisfy your data requirements with a normal relational database. Without getting too much into the tech mm -hmm. part of it, just a normal standard database technology will be able to hold all of the data that any financial, that the vast majority of financial service firms have. And okay, it might help you sell more technology if you go in talking about big data and you say, I've got this fancy new thing, you've got lots of data, you need this big data solution, some Hadoop cluster that's going to parse your data, you generally don't need that. Financial service companies don't need it. It does help sell software. If you're a tech company selling, I think that's why they talk about those kind of things. And the people that are putting out that kind of material are vendors rather than people buying. Okay, so big data is obviously a term of art in the, the tech industry. So maybe yeah. a better term is a lot of data. Yeah, but they don't have a lot of data in, in terms of kind of social media companies or... No, know. but in, in absolute terms, they have quite a lot of data. You know, if you take all the interactions that they do have with their clients, the transactions that they enter into... Yeah, it's all a manageable amount of data by normal database technology. You don't need special solutions that are aimed at, at, at social media companies or people selling things on the internet. So it's easy for them. So what do they complain about? So the problem that companies have is that they've siloed off their business users and their IT users. So if you go into most financial service companies, I would say anyone who works in financial services has a failed data warehouse project in their past. That they, someone has come along and said, we have all this data, we're going to try and make a unified view of the data, and we're going to put this in the magical data warehouse, and we're going to feed all of our reporting solutions off of this data warehouse. And they, they come in, and it is, it is small data in terms of the grander scale, but they try and put everything into the data warehouse, and it tends to fail. I'd say everyone has a failed data warehouse project in their past. And the reason it fails is that there's such a split between business users who understand the business domain and understand the terms specific to the business and IT users who understand the technology and understand how to get things into the data warehouse. So often you'll have the IT users and they'll come and put all of the data in the data warehouse and then it's very, very hard for that actually to get used because the business don't know how to get the data back out. Isn't that just so a design issue? No, that's a people issue. So it, it's the process that they go through to try and get to run those data warehouse projects. It's that there aren't people who are sitting on in the middle translating those requirements between the, the business and the IT side. So it's a design issue. It's the way that they've designed and built their systems. It's not that they don't have the tech or the data. It's not that they can't. Yeah. yeah, okay, if you, if you want to call that a design issue. Yeah, they haven't yeah. done a very good job. Yeah, they haven't done a good job. I don't know if I term it that they haven't done a good job. They haven't had someone who sits there and translates the requirements and pushes it through both sides of the business. You've siloed the business into two separate areas, into an IT side and into a business side. So if I was going to make predictions on, rather than focusing on the technology and rather saying big data or the cloud, and we'll come, we'll come and talk to the cloud in a minute. The big problem is this 
the way that people run their financial services companies is I have these business users and they understand the business and they're really good in the domain of whatever financial services we're doing. And we have these IT users and these IT users are just a facilitator of the business. They're not the core of the business. So in terms of what innovation is required, I think the challenge is that software is eating the world and software is going to take over all of the financial service companies. And are tech companies going to come in and take over doing what financial services companies do? So the question is more, are financial services companies going to become tech companies before tech companies become financial services companies? And the answer is? I think history has shown that it is hard for incumbents to take on new entrants like that. So what happens, so I think if you're looking at innovation, there's two distinct kinds of innovation. There's a great book called The Innovator's Dilemma, and it basically says there's two different kinds of innovation. There's sustaining innovation where you're going to try and do better for your existing customers. You're going to try and make things, uh, you're going to perform better service to the customers that you already have. And then there's disruptive innovation where you're going to start off with something that's quite niche, that very few people do, and that is going to ultimately become the main way that business functions in the future. So if you look at, say, cameras on your phone. Cameras on your phone in the early 2000s were a really niche product. Very few people used them. They had lots of mistakes. They weren't very good. And the camera companies would turn around and say, we're not worried about cameras in phones. That's not a threat to us. Fast forward 10 years later, no one buys cameras anymore. Very, very, it's, it, now, now the camera is a niche product that you have to be a very high-end user to do. That's what I would see in financial services as well. So but, software is going to take over all financial services tasks. And the question is, will it be will tech it be companies become financial services companies or financial services companies become tech companies? Exactly. So why haven't the tech companies moved in already? Why aren't they, why haven't they already taken over? They are. So if you look at, so like if you look at Amazon, for example, Amazon has recently uh, gone into health insurance and in the US. So they signed a deal with Berkshire Hathaway and they signed a deal with JP Morgan to provide health insurance. And the way that they approached that problem was exactly the way a software company would approach the problem. So software companies have this idea of dog fooding. Dog fooding basically means you use your own software yourself and you find issues by doing it yourself. So when Amazon wanted to get into the health insurance space, what they did was they provided health insurance for their own employees. Amazon have enough of a workforce that they said, we're going to find out the issues and kinks and how to provide health insurance by providing health insurance to our own people. And then when they figured out all those kinks, now they're rolling it out into the wider market. And go and get regulated and go through, yeah. have capital. And I think the main difference between the innovation that you see in kind of typical tech companies in social media or selling things online is that there's a really low barrier to entry to all of that kind of tech. That if you're a guy sitting on a college campus in Dublin somewhere now and you say, I want to start a social media company, you and your friends can get together and build it. And okay. there's no barriers to entry at all. Your only barrier is, can I get people to log on? And, and what do about financial services? Where so the there's, a huge, are huge. there's a huge barrier to entry. Yeah. And what that causes is a low disruption in the norm, that there's not that much disruption. When disruption happens, then that's going to be violent. That's going to be an extreme disruption because there's the complacency has come into the market. Because you don't have to innovate. You don't have these college kids that are 20 years old starting a manco. But that assumes that financial services at the moment are not tech savvy and are not innovating. Yeah, and you can see that in the way that they... So you're, you're talking here about regulatory software and the regulatory reports. The best way to sell software to a financial services company is a regulatory um, issue that they have. So new regulations coming out. The EU post-2008 is making an awful lot of regulation. If you want to sell software to a financial services company, there is budget to do regulatory software. That's the only, that's the best way to get in. If you, want, if you want to sell, that's the best way in. But when you go in and do that, you'll often hear, um, this is minimal compliance, this isn't finance transformation. And you can see from the way that they're approaching solving these problems that they're spending on a new issue that's come up and they want to just silo that problem off and, and solve that problem immediately without addressing the fundamental issues inside the business. 
What's the least I need to do to comply? What's yes. the yeah, minimum we, compliance? We, I come across that all the time, and as a regulator, it's not. It's a flag. If I see somebody looking with that mindset, what's the minimum amount of people I need yeah. to employ? Immediately, yeah. you, you you know, it's not to, it's not the mindset that yes. you want. So minimum compliance versus finance transformation is the big thing that you will see when they're buying new. So so companies. financial services companies other than doing the minimum because it's going to help them with a regulatory issue, are not engaging technology and are not innovative and dynamic. I, I think they are trying. So I think in some ways they are trying whether or not they're focusing their efforts in the right place. Like most large financial services companies will have innovation hubs. Yeah. Um, but I don't think they're looking at the problem in the way that I kind of laid out, that you've got sustainable versus disruptive change that you can do. And where does that leave them then? So let's assume they can, they can do some innovation, but they're not going to be as dynamic as one of the major tech companies, mm-hmm. right? So once the tech companies can get over the barrier to entry, test it internally because they've got enough staff to do it there, then do they flood the market and you find that we forget about the high street banks and the high street asset managers and now we're all using Google money and Facebook asset I, I, management. I think it's going to be very hard to predict when that is going to happen, but right. it is going to be a violent change rather than a slow change over time. And it will be because the complacency that is in most financial service companies. I think where the tech companies, and maybe why they haven't been so far, as prevalent as they might have been so far, is that being a regulated industry in the way the financial services is, is quite a shock. You know, you've got innovative techie people who go to bed on Saturday night, wake up Sunday morning with an idea, and they have it in the market on Monday morning. Mm-hmm. It's not how financial services no, works. Absolutely, it'll not. be Monday morning next year when it goes into the exactly. when you might get regulatory approval. Yeah, and and I think that that's a major culture shock. So as a regulator, I'm looking at tech companies coming in. That's one thing that I worry about. Yeah. Are, how will their culture change and adapt to being mm-hmm. a regulated firm that has somebody looking over their shoulder and they're not allowed to just do what they. Yeah, so you, you're, you've presupposed there that the tech company can do the job better than the financial services company. And you just told me they could. No, no, I'm talking about your opinion, though. So, so that's what you think as well. So I think they can. I think that the vast majority of problems that companies face are data issues. And they need to find a way to align the domain knowledge that business users have to the data that they already have to service the new changing, whether it's selling things through digitally or whether it's sending in reports to the CBI. It is, I have my domain knowledge and I have my data and I can't align the two together to satisfy either the sales targets that I want to make or the regulatory reporting requirements that I have. So do you think a tech company can get over the hurdle, the initial hurdle to get into the market to solve those problems better? Well, throw money at it and you can and get yourself well advised and understand that you're now in a regulated space and you cannot move overnight. You've got mm-hmm. to get a regulatory blessing pretty much for everything that you do. Yeah. But beyond that, anybody can get regulated. Yeah, anybody and they can certainly get have regulated. the resources to do it. Exactly. So that's I guess that, that was the, the lens that I would look through your predictions for 2020 are quite different. That you're looking at small ways that financial service firms can use the cloud or big data. Whereas I'm saying that there is a fundamental shift in the inner workings that needs to happen inside financial service firms to align the domain knowledge of their business users and the IT skills of their IT staff. So if I were a tech firm and I wanted to take over the asset management world, what are the three key steps I need to do that? Yeah, so there is quite a barrier to entry on the regulatory side. So you would have to overcome the regulation because you're going to have to get regulated. buy somebody, wouldn't I? Yeah, you could you could buy someone. Yeah, and the next thing then you're going to have to do is to provide a differentiated product. So you're going to have to say, how how am I going to provide either cheaper or closer app experience than what is provided already? Like interacting with 
I think if, if you take a look at Revolut, for example, so Revolut has quite a, a large place in the transaction space, in people spending money. It's kind of replacing credit cards as a way of spending money. But very few people are putting their salary into Revolut. So they still have their normal big brick and mortar bank that they're paying their salary into, but they're not using that bank. They're essentially transferring the money piecemeal into their Revolut account to then actually go and transact money with end retailers. So the issue that Revolut has is the essential size and reputation of the bank. Are they going to be able to get people to trust them with putting their salaries in or getting mortgages or loans from them? Right. But if I'm a big tech company, people have you heard have of me. Have my, yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. So was that two or three? What's number three? Item number three <laughs> to, to get me from a massive storehouse book storage company to taking over the asset management world. Yeah, I don't know. I have to think of a third one. Only two things. Yeah. Well, then tell me this. If I were an existing financial services company, let's say quite big, and I want to make sure myself and my team have a job in the morning, mm-hmm. what is it that they should do to stave off competition from tech companies when they come into this space? They have to start thinking like tech companies. They have to start aligning. There is not a promotion of skills that the domain user... There, there's such a silo between domain users and business users and IT users, and you have to break down those barriers. You have to make your business users more IT savvy. And aren't all these millennials, are they not supposed to be all tech savvy? Couldn't they do this? Aren't they the, the future for financial services companies? Yeah, I don't. I, I don't see. If I don't you can see get them culture. to do any work, but there's a <laughs> there's a culture though. The culture, the culture is wrong of of the way that they're approaching problems, and that that doesn't. What do you mean? In that the the culture is not. We are going to find innovative technological solutions. It's that we have a domain problem, and we're going to try and leverage our IT uh, to. We're going to try and explain that to an IT user, and the IT user is going to solve the issue. There's not an alignment between the two sides. I wonder, is that a legacy of being? heavily regulated for so long that you lose your dynamism because mm-hmm. you know the moment you come up with an idea, it's going to disappear into a governance framework yeah. and have to get approved by a regulator and it's never going to come out the other side. Exactly, exactly, yeah. yeah. So potentially, like there is certainly legacy issues with all, with all of these financial service companies. Like it is, they are large ships and it's very hard to turn the ship. Right. So talk to me a little bit about cloud then. The main advantages that you would get or that are touted for using the cloud is that it's going to be quicker, it's going to be more innovative and quicker to spin up new machines and to launch new servers. So uh, my understanding is that my options for storing my important data are a server in the basement that I own and control and can go down and look at, or a server that AWS or some other provider has in a desert somewhere that they control, but I, there's a small part of that has my data on it. That's basically it, yeah. You're not in, not in a desert. They're just outside North Dublin as the, the Microsoft. That's because I'm a more glamorous location. Yeah. But anyway, so... So the reasons that are touted for moving to the cloud are either that it's going to be quicker or cheaper. They're the two reasons. But I think you need to look at the, the why. Why is it quicker or cheaper? And the reason that it's quicker or cheaper is not to do with some magic cloud technology. It's to do with the bureaucracy that you can get out of the way of your internal structures. So it may be cheaper to launch servers on the cloud than it is to have servers inside your own organization. But the reason that it is cheaper is often the fact that you can get around all the bureaucracy of doing the same thing internally. But it, there's, there must be practicalities as well. Like, I mean, it doesn't take up office space. I don't have it to doesn't take up buy space. hardware. You don't have to buy hardware, but you have to rent the hardware. So you're moving to a renting model. So in terms of... So actual, it's governance, really, and, and not having to go through... But you must have to go through a committee to even start to use the cloud. 
Yeah, so like that's the bureaucracy. It is cheaper in terms of I'm not paying for an internal project to go and set up new servers. So it's it's cheaper, okay, because you can get through the process quicker. You can to get, get through get there. the process, exactly. Okay. So you've designed a new process at the time. But I think you would find largely so that vendors like selling cloud solutions for a number of reasons. Um, number one, it is it is easier to administer if it is your cloud. Like you do have more control over the environment. And mm. um, providing support is easier because if if you have a, an on-premise installation and someone rings up looking for support, you can't see the same screen that the person can see. Whereas in the cloud, you typically have pre-dev environment where you can log on and both you can log into a test environment, the, you can talk to the user and they can both see the exact same screen and you can help talk them through their problems easier. So from a vendor perspective, it, it is better. Uh, from the client perspective, I've often received a lot of pushback with financial services. So yeah, so if it's so great, why would anybody push back? So there's a number of reasons. One, one is the, there is a feeling of loss of uh, ownership of the data and there's a risk associated with putting something into the cloud outside of my own IT estate. I think that is largely unfounded. Microsoft spend a, a large amount of money on security inside the cloud. So very, Seems like a very obvious problem that they must have a solution for. Yeah, but something that's in the internet that is, is accessible. If something yeah. is in the internet, it has to be accessible to everyone on the internet, whereas servers that are installed in your basement don't have to be accessible to the internet. You can firewall those off so that the internet can't, can't get access to them. Mm. Um, so there are security concerns. The bigger thing is more personal data concerns. If you're putting, if you talk to a financial services company and they're going to put only their own financial data in the cloud, I found that they are more accessible to doing that, that if it is their, just their financials, they'll do it, um, or more amenable to doing it. But oftentimes with the kind of regulatory returns that you're selling, it's either personal data. If you're producing letters to investors or policyholders, you have to have names and addresses. That becomes a GDPR issue. And there is also issues with the, the CBI outsourcing. So I think it was probably February last year was the first time that I saw legal writing going into contracts that we were signing with people that we were putting into the cloud yeah. where they wanted to address CBI concerns over outsourcing. Mm -hmm. And so if you install something on site, and the user is accessing it through their browser, but it's installed in the basement, that's not outsourcing. Whereas if you install something in the cloud and the, the user is still accessing the exact same experience through their browser, but it's in the cloud, that, that would be considered outsourcing. And then you fall right. under the CBI's outsourcing. So things. with those concerns then, does that mean that financial services firms are not using the cloud? Some, some are. There's a varying degree of appetite towards using the cloud. Some financial services companies have very, very little to no data in the cloud. And then some, some are more amenable to it. And in five years' time, will everybody be in the cloud or will this still be the position? I, I think everyone will definitely not be in the cloud in five years. I think that view of there are, there are the benefits aren't strong enough to, to push them into the cloud. The cost savings are not enough to overcome the risk of putting data into the cloud. So to wrap up then, Brian, how would you take Section 10, the, the 2020 technology predictions, how would you present that? With, through your view of the world? Yeah, so the, the lens that I look at the technology space on, I guess, if I was going to pick three things that I would say, uh, technology takes the lead. I think that it, the title is bang on. Te technology is going to take the lead. Uh, the first thing I'd say is don't, don't focus on buzzwords. Things like big data, things like moving into the cloud. Don't look as uh, on technology as just a hammer that you're trying to solve your problems with. Look that you need to ingratiate technology into all aspects of your business and turn your company into a tech firm. Number two, I do think you're right about reporting. There is going to be more reporting. but 
the way of driving this is not to focus on now I have to do a mirror recording, now I have to do STF or now I have to do a MIFR. Instead, say that I'm going to get a unified view of my data. I'm going to have a single entity model and I'm going to build that in combination with both the business users and the IT users that I'm going to have a proper single unified view of all the data inside my organization. And my data reporting requirements as the EU keeps making more and more regulations are just going to fall out of the end of that unified model. And I'm going to get buy-in from both sides of the business and I'm going to get rid of the idea that there are two sides of the business. I'm just going to have my overall company who are business users who have domain knowledge and IT knowledge that are going to build this data model for me. And the third thing I would say is that that is a culture change. I just effect that change through a culture change, that it is not a technology problem. You don't need to go and look for uh, smart solutions, big data, blockchain, any of these kind of things. It is a culture inside your organization that you need to change. And you need to look, the technology companies are going to come in and they're going to have this built in. They're going to have this idea that data controls everything inside the organization. And if you don't start making that change, if you don't start combining together domain knowledge and data knowledge together into just a unified view from the business, that you are going to end up losing to tech companies. Wow, very interesting. Thank you very much for that, Brian. We will take your feedback. We will add an addendum to our technology predictions and we will rewrite that part of our 2020 predictions. That one sounds like certainly when you talk about culture change, it's 2020 and beyond, but certainly something firms should be focusing on now uh, with a view to having that right going into the future. So again, thank you very much, Brian. We shall reissue and rewrite that part of our 2020 predictions. We look forward to challenges from anybody else out there who would like to come and, and give us their views on the world of the financial services industry into 2020 and beyond. And if you would like to get your own copy of the Equest 2020 predictions, please go to equest.ie forward slash 2020 predictions. Let's wrap it up there. Thank you very Thanks much very again, much. Brian. Thanks, Danny. You've been listening to the Aquas Podcast. For information about our training and advisory programs or our academy, visit aquas.ie. For more resources on regs, funds, and governance, check out our YouTube channel, Daniel Lawler, R-U-R-Q.